I remember when I told my mom about um, me joining Fringe and becoming a, the ed, an educator for them. And she was like, I can't believe you're getting into drugs. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, what are you going to be like high all the time now? Hey everyone. Welcome to episode 27. I'm Arpita. I'm a physical therapist and science communicator, and I just joined the cup therapy team as a producer. I'm so excited to be on board. Today, we're excited to share an interview with Joe Lavaca. He's a physical therapist and educator, and is also a strong advocate for the safe and effective use of CBD as it applies to the fitness and rehab world. Join us as he discusses how he got started in this space, the science of CBD, and his role at Fringe, a CBD company. All right. We are here, episode 27. It is flying by, and I'm with a really cool guy. This is Joe Labaca. Joe, tell us where you're from. Tell us your pronouns. Tell us what you do. And what's going on? Yeah, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate that. Having uh, interacted a little bit on social media, it's nice to actually put a voice to yep. a face, um, which I think is a little bit harder to do these days. I am a PT out here in New York City. This is where I was born and raised. I uh, currently live in Long Island. I have a eight-year-old daughter, a fiance that lives in Colorado. That's probably a podcast chat for another day. And I've actually been on my own in my clinic in Manhattan since 2018. So that has been quite an adventure navigating through a pandemic when you were just sort of getting on your feet to sort of close again, and then to feel like you're just getting on your feet to close again. And it's... Uh, Around and around we go, but I, I hope that the light is at the end of the tunnel. We all, you know, so um, we'll definitely talk about how you supplement maybe some of the other aspects of patient care and how to be a creative entrepreneur in the PT field. So our listeners are ATs and chiros and acupuncturists and massage therapists. But I think from a PT perspective, we don't get paid very well at all. I think. No. And that's yeah. really understood. <laughs> well, I think ATs get paid even worse. And I, I feel so terrible for my AT compadres out there um, we're all getting more value as time goes on and we we show what we can do and and how we can do that um and you have this great kind of perspective and your business is called strength and motion pt where you really collaborate pushing the the strength and conditioning aspects with the brain as the central point of it all right tell us how your philosophy has really developed uh into its current state and then where where did all that come from for you yeah absolutely um so it started really with one patient that I was rehabbing from an ACL reconstruction not too long ago. Well, I don't know. It feels like not too long ago. It was probably five years ago now, right? Um, back then, I was very adamant about you know following the protocol to a T, building the relationship with the doctors. Because like you mentioned, in New York City, there's a dime a dozen. There's a PT on every single corner. So how are you going to separate yourself? And for me, I always thought, like, I got to separate myself with the doctors. That's who's going to send me patients. That's where I'm going to make the most money. That's where, you know, I'm going to help grow the business I was working for. And at that time, I was very interested in like doing, you know, like what exercise was the best. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit less of assessment, get to know you because we already knew what was wrong with you. And uh, this particular client um, was very challenging for me in the beginning because she would be so anxious and so apprehensive that she would cry anytime I would try to touch her. So her boyfriend would come in through all her sessions. You know, they had a, this wonderful 
support system. And I always appreciated that. I was like, wow, I wish all my patients you know, had something like this. So time goes on. She's getting a little bit better. Soon enough, she's back to doing her sports. We all keep in touch. They actually invite me out for a drink. And I said, why not? We'll have a beer together, all three of us. And at that time, they gave me a card and they said, we got you a gift. And they were like, well, I don't know. It's not money or anything. It's a, it's a special gift. We've never given this gift to someone. Cool. And um, yeah, and in the card was just her story. And uh, her story involved a lot of sexual abuse, mm. uh, trauma growing up as a child. And it hit me that this was the reason why it was so difficult to make a connection with her. Yeah. And you know, in the card, she said, but you've never stopped trying. She was like, you always made me feel safe and comfortable. You always made my boyfriend a part of our treatments. And, and I just like, wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And that's what really started me down this path of trying to be a better communicator, a better educator. So yeah, so that really sparked my interest in developing a better presence with the person that I was working with, um, getting to know them and what their lives were like. So then, you know, to pull back and try to bring this world of, hey, you know what? I need you to understand what's happening in your life. I need you to understand that stress is stress and your body doesn't really care if it's good or bad, but how much of it is accumulating. And I think that's what's probably even pushed me further down the education line. That's what makes me excited about um, working for uh, Fringe now. So, and then who knows what else that's going to to yeah. lead to, you know, absolutely more conversations like this with people like you. That's great. Now you touch on so many great things there. I think to start with, when you get three to five years out and further, you start to realize that those other things are kind of in your, in your pocket. You don't have to stress about looking so intently at the biomechanics because you, you now kind of own that material pretty well that you can pick up when things are off and you don't have to use so much of your cortex and so much of your processing to see patterns yeah. because your patterns are, you know, kind of in you and you, you have it. So you have the awareness to step back and say, what else is going on? And generally it, I find also it leads to a personal story, right? Yeah. Who is that person? What are they struggling with? Why are they like they are? Like what, what happened to you? Totally. Totally. Well, especially as we start to see the chink in the armor of what we thought was the most important stuff. And I think you really bring up the, the important piece of mental health and mental kind of clarity of where they're at, not just for their physical body, but for their mental. So this is a great segue for us to jump into, like, how has the world of cannabis and CBD, this company Fringe, worked its way into this? Like, tell us that story. Where did that come up? Yeah. So the people that I work with now at Fringe were sort of colleagues of mine for when we were working at Rock Tape. And it's been really intriguing because the things that we ended up focusing on first were was just what are the problems that were a lot of us are facing together? It was issues with pain, right? That's been our oldest known medical condition. We've been seeking, you know, help with that since the beginning of time. And then there seems to be this common thread of sleeping disorders. There seems to be this common thread of anxiety and depression. And, and it was interesting because I used to always just, you know, go along with people like, oh yeah, I can't sleep. Neither can the two o'clock guy. It sucks, right? You must be so tired right now, you know? And it's sort of like you don't acknowledge the experience of the person when they're opening up to you and giving them an invitation to be like, hey, I, this might be something that I need help with rather than like, well, you're just like everybody else. Some of the ways our forefathers, civilizations across time 
started to manage a lot of these issues that we're seeing today, it was through things like cannabis, things that came from the earth that were natural. Yep. They were involved in community. They were involved in religious rituals. There was never just this idea of you go to a doctor and then you go home by yourself and now you have your exercise program you have to follow alone. This is not how we used to care for each other. So when we started to really look at this, we were like, wow, there are, there are threads here that are popping up. You know, like we always relied on community, on touch, on movement, on breathing, on meditation, on light, on being in nature. And then as we started to just put all these things down on the list, we sort of identified them as fringe factors. So that's where we came into the market as a CBD company mm -hmm. to be able to offer a product to habit stack with, with all these other factors that Sorry. we want to continually grow on and expand upon. But this idea of the endocannabinoid system, and then that started taking us down this road. Well, well, what is the CBD? What is the THC? What is the can? Where, where is this interacting within our body? And then you start to realize that the endocannabinoid system has been there all along, but it's not in our textbooks at school. Hey, Arpita again. At this part of the conversation, Joe started dropping some terminology about CBD and the endocannabinoid system that I wasn't too familiar with. So just to back up a bit, most of us know that the cannabis plant is associated with two main compounds, CBD or cannabidiol and THC or tetrahydrocannabidiol. CBD is the bit that we're starting to learn about more for anxiety, pain, cognition, not the bit that you're probably taking on a Saturday night. Joe also talks about the endocannabinoid system. So most of us at this point have heard of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, which help us self-regulate our needs. In addition to these, we have another system called the endocannabinoid system, which works on processes like learning and memory, emotional processing, sleep, temperature control, pain control, inflammatory immune responses, and eating. Yeah, just my limited knowledge of the endocannabinoid system. It's a hard one to spit out every time. But yep. my limited knowledge of that has really kind of opened my eyes to like this integrates with all the different subsystems of your, like you said, homeostasis of your ability to kind of chill and rest and digest. So our issues in today's society are already so stacked on stress, anxiety, sympathetic, this, that, and the other. And we're trying constantly to teach people breathing patterns or parasympathetic activity or, you know, different things like that. And I think post COVID is going to be this new awakening of like, well, I'm stressed again. I'm, I'm back to this area of like doing too much again. And I'm starting to feel like I want to go back to early COVID times when I got, could chill a little bit. Right. And how can I do that? So tell us what are some of the processes or some of, what are some of the mechanics behind cannabis and how it, it, it helps those bridges be being built through? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first question is always like, well, where is the endocannabinoid system? I, I see where my musculoskeletal system is. I see where my, my pulmonary system, the endocannabinoid system is basically pervasive throughout your entire body. So wherever we sort of are looking on now and discovering tissues, we're seeing CB1 and we're seeing CB2 receptors. Now, from a very sort of easy standpoint, there's CB1 and CB2 receptors all over our body. However, CB1 has much more density in the central nervous system, and CB2 has a lot more density in the peripheral system. So when we start to look at all these receptors, well, what things do we make 
that are going to bind with these receptors. And we do make our own endocannabinoids, right? So our primary endocannabinoids are anandamide and 2-AG. Quick note here, anandamide and 2-AG are similar compounds to THC and CBD. They bind to the same receptors, but they're produced through the body's endocannabinoid system. Pretty cool. So these are made as we need them, right? And they're literally responsible for cell-to-cell communication, extracellular matrix health, tissue restoration, how we interpret and maybe feel pain, managing inflammatory cycles through cytokine activity and messaging throughout our body. So now when I, and I think the other thing that's worth noting uh, is the CBD and cannabis are, are a little bit different. So cannabis, there is a component of THC and CBD, right? THC directly binds to CB1 receptors. This is why typically when we have THC mixtures or THC components, oh, we can feel a little euphoric. Um, there's maybe some other unwanted effects for most people, but yeah. for the most part, a lot of my clients don't want to feel yeah. high. So when we offer them CBD, a remain CBD component, like a fringe powder, they shouldn't be having any psychoactive effects. So they'll be able to get the benefit of the phytocannabinoid through the CBD, which acts in a more indirect way on CB1 receptors. But what we're also seeing is how it interacts in a retrograde manner across a lot of these nervous system junctions or these nerve impulses. So if you can picture a nerve impulse and it's sort of going out of control and it's releasing all these neurotransmitters at a very high rate, maybe we're responding to stress. So we're releasing cortisol and, and um, glutamate, but now the stress is gone. So we should be able to start to ramp down. Well, if we don't have a healthy endocannabinoid system, those signals are going to keep firing out of control. So CBD essentially will come in and act as a retrograde signal across the space to help anandamide and 2-AG do its job a little bit better. Joe explained that CBD is actually getting more and more popular as the stigma around cannabis slowly lifts. More and more people in the U.S. are taking it or are seeking cannabis and CBD products. Yeah. And I think 33% of the people who tried it is for pain, which, you know, again, makes total sense because that's our oldest problem. So that's going to be the first one when people are scared of taking opioids and scared of taking an NSAID because they need to function. And it's hard to do that if you're basically on a depressant or a stimulant or, you know, something along those lines, right? When we take CBD, we're, we're extending the half-life of anandamide and 2-AG a little bit longer so they can do their job. I know we said there was no stigma, but really? Really? I remember when I told, told my mom about um, me joining Fringe and becoming a, the ed, an educator for them. And she was like, I can't believe you're getting into drugs. <laughs> and she's like, She's like, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, what are you going to be like high all the time now? And I'm like, well, mom, no, that's not what it is. Like, you know, I think you're thinking of cannabis and, and yeah. uh, marijuana. And I was like, this isn't it. There's actually like a lot of medicinal value here. I talked to her about pain. I talked to her about stress and this and that. And then of course, being a good mom, you know, she's going to, she's going to try it. And now she has it every night before she goes to sleep, they sit down and she's like, I've never been sleeping better. So typically I'm trying to find people who would maybe fit more into a central sensitization bucket initially. Joe uses this term central sensitization, 
which is used to describe chronic pain from a neurological standpoint. Essentially, if you're experiencing pain, your nervous system is in high alert as you try to protect yourself from harm. But if the painful stimulus continues for a long time, it can put your body in an almost perpetual state of fight or flight. The reason why I, I, I find these people maybe with more sensually driven pain is because of the effect that some qualitative studies have had on not actually reducing a ton of pain with people, but actually giving them a better experience about it so that they were still able to function. So I'll tell people that, you know, when you've had pain for such a long period of time, to me, that almost becomes your body's new homeostasis. Like that is the new balance that it's seeking. So every time you try to fight something or attack your pain, in some ways, I think like flares are your body's way of like, no, like this is, this is what we know. This is safe. Like this is how we are protecting ourselves. This is the signal that we are most familiar with. So when I see people who's dealing with some central sensitization or central sensitivity issues, I'll tell them, look, pain right now is creating fear, anxiety. That's typically not what we would think about with pain because pain is protective. So somewhere along the lines, your body has switched the message. Mm-hmm. I can't really like, you can't prescribe it anyways. Like, nope. PT, nope. We have some legal responsibilities and we have to frame it. So, so talk yeah. about what that does look like. Like, how do you shape that conversation and make it seem, you know, not like you're prescribing something, but you're recommending or what I would do if it was me. This product, the CBD or the cannabis product may actually help you process this feeling better, feel more comfortable with it. Where even if you have the same four or five out of 10 pages, you're not going to be anxious about it. And you said you'll be able to start to reframe it as a protective response, something that you're trying to learn from, not something that's trying to hold you back from being healthy. I'll bring up that study of quality of life with clients who've tried it. Mm-hmm. I usually will bring up that you know, most people in the U.S. have had success dealing with pain. And then I sort of just go right into the safety profile where I'm like, look, If this was something that you wanted to try, we know it's safe. There's never been an overdose. It's non-addictive. And then I usually will sort of then say, well, and then this is how I, you know, have incorporated into my life. I use it at night. And then once we got his sleep cycle sort of normalized, well, then this pain cycle got a lot better. And then there's a big connection or that I'm trying to read about a little bit more between this idea of pain and sleep. Maybe it's the pain disrupting your sleep. And then now we go chicken and egg again all over the place. But, you know, we know that there's a big thing. So if there's a connection between how you're feeling and your sleep, this should start to help push us in the right direction, along with your healthy lifestyle and your exercise program and you calling your mom every Wednesday to see how she's doing. For any of us who may have engaged in some recreational activities, there's always the question, how much do I take? Chris asked Joe if this was an issue in medicinal CBD. Our motto is always start low and go slow. When you read these studies, some people are taking four milligrams, five milligrams. Some people are taking 300. (laughs) Now, and, and while I think that the importance of what research will come out over the next five years or so is more proper, like, okay, you should be taking you know, two milligrams per, you know, whatever uh, body weight, just like your protein recommendations to people or carbohydrate recommendations for people. Yeah. And we're just not there yet with it. So, and what we also know is that when people are taking oils versus 
inhalation versus a powder versus a gummy, it sort of also gets broken down a little bit differently. Yep. Most studies are probably more oil-based when it comes to the delivery method. But from what we understand now is that oil is very inconsistent in terms of how much you're actually absorbing or a term known as bioavailability. So if you're taking an oil, on average, depending on what you ate, depending on the time of the day, you might actually absorb six to 24% of the actual milligrams that you think you're taking. So the water soluble products can be up to 20 to 80% of what now you were taking. So we're seeing maybe a fourfold increase in the consistency of delivery when you're using it as a water soluble product. It's in and out of your system in about six hours. And just like any other medication, it affects each of us differently. So you can continually dose it. And then the thing with um, the CBD, which is you can take them for pain, right? This 30 milligram packet and say, I felt better about my pain. I wasn't as scared of it. You know, now I'm getting education by Joe and Chris and I'm moving a little bit more and exposing myself, but I feel like I have an edge. Other people will take the 30 milligrams and then say, I, I was just wiped, man. Like I just wanted to go take a nap and I wanted to just sleep the day away. And then other people take it and they're like, this is the first time I was able to look at my boss and not almost have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And, and this is where, you know, the, the idea of start low, go slow really comes from. But really, I think the only barrier to finding a good dose right now is probably more financial than anything else. Mm -hmm. But because we know it's so safe, yeah, you're not gonna... you took 30 and you were like, yeah, hey, this didn't really give me what I was looking for for sleep, but 90 did. And now you're like, okay, well, I have to take 90 milligrams a night. Can I actually afford to do that? Yeah. Right. And, and this is where... thing, right? To feel safe that you're right. not going to overdose. Like, I think that's the problem with the whole cascade that we went down with the op opioid crisis is like, they were trying to say, well, this isn't enough. We're going to give you more. And then get, like that movie dopes. Yep. Oh yeah. So yeah, good. Right. It's and it's like, well, if we give them this higher dose, that's going to be the thing. That's the ticket. Right. Then, right. you know, so many things And with CBD, it seems like there's just a lot less risk with that. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. And then. When we start to have maybe like if someone comes in where they're like, yeah, I, I took three and I think I slept really good. Um, but taking three is a lot. Like I'd have to buy like seven bags of it to like last me through the next two months. So I'll usually tell people like monitor what you're trying to move on for 30 days. Once you find a dose that works for you, give it 30 days, but, but log, how are you rating your anxiety each day? How are you, you know, really rating your pain? Because I think we're such poor, subjective reporters. Yeah. I'll see a person today um, who I saw last Monday. Hey, how have you been? Oh, uh, you know, well, last Wednesday at like 8 a.m., I had a lot of pain again. Okay. Well, it was last Wednesday at 8 a.m. <laughs> yeah. How about the others? I don't remember the other six days. That's always what I get. Like, I don't, I don't remember yeah. the other six days. And I'm like, well, yeah. probably means that you're doing pretty good. But I think whenever finances are concerned, then this idea of like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a month and then see what happens. But, you know, for my clients, I tell them, look, I'm not trying to have you be on this for the rest of your life. I'm having it try to kick us into a new state. If someone's worried about putting something into their body, well, the other area where we have CB1 and CB2 receptors is the skin. If we use lotion or CBD creams, 
those will not cross into our systemic circulation. So we'll interact with CB1 or CB2 receptors at the surface of the skin. Mm-hmm. It may have a hypoanalgesic effect, yeah. which is what most people would sort of use it for. What type of depth um, does that get to? Have they measured or studied like how deep the receptors can be? Because we know now like those receptors are in fascia and what level of the fascia plane would it actually interact with? How, how- I believe it was up the superficial fascia, which is okay. sort of where... You know, it's where all the big money big, is anyway. Yeah, That's the yeah, 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 exactly. There's less consistent studies on cream. I've only seen like one or two as opposed to these oil-based alternatives or now more water-soluble things maybe coming to market. But it, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of studies on the lotions, which makes it sort of hard to postulate on like the when and how long. And, yeah. you know, if I put a thousand milligrams of the CBD on my skin, is that better than 500 milligrams? So yeah, many studies so. on, on, yeah, the, the receptor location, but also the demographic, like you're saying, it's not going to respond in this demographic the same as that demographic. You're going to have to study these groups over the course of the next 10 years to have a, a better idea of the dosage of it, which brings up the, an interesting ethical dilemma. Fringe seems like a very high level group that's really doing it for the right reasons, but who's to say other groups don't come and push for studies that are going to incorporate higher levels, higher dosages from an economic standpoint, I'm just being that advocate. With yeah, that. no, absolutely crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and right now it's the wild west. Yeah, right? actually, you know, and the house passed the decriminalization of um, marijuana bill. I think it was a week ago. Everyone doesn't seem to think it's going to get past the Senate, but there is hope. Again, like I said, I think it's important that the conversations are being had. I, I think it's important that states are now being allowed to Move sort of explore yeah. on their own. But it, you know, there's still so much red tape. CBD or, or THC right now is listed as a supplement uh, anywhere over the counter. Supplements are not regulated, at least in, not in the United States. So there was this third-party study done. Um, I think only about one in four or maybe 20% actually had the correct amount of CBD that they advertised on their labels. Yeah. And quite a number of them tested hot, which means that there was still THC in it, even though yeah. they said that Clean. this was a, you know, an isolate, you know, everything was removed. Yeah. Um, so now those, that is concerning, right? Because now if you're taking it and you're in the healthcare field and you're getting uh, blood tested or urine tested, now you're reading the label of something. You're like, okay, well, now there's all this distrust anyway. Now I read a study like this where half the companies aren't being regulated, aren't even regulated themselves. So at Fringe, what, what we talk about as part of our education is, look, even if you don't buy anything Fringe, here's how you know you're going to get a good product, right? You need three different tiers of testing. You need to see things get tested when it gets pulled off the crop. It needs to be tested for toxins and metals from the soil. It needs to be tested when it gets boiled, when it becomes an oil. And then it needs to get tested again off the shelf. So as it's getting packed over there on the line, pulling a few out and then measuring and saying, okay, yeah, these are all good. So you can see that process actually by what's called a certificate of analysis. Mm-hmm. Each product that you or your clients would buy in the future should have a barcode on it. And the barcode should take you to that specific certificate of analysis. So we're really comfortable being in the CBD space. And, you know, and thus far, it's been really, really great to be able to empower someone to say, hey, this is something that is 100% safe. I can help you tear your way through it, how to document it. And Maybe they didn't even come off of it. I think it's just important that people know what they're taking. But, you know, once they feel comfortable in it, then it's like, okay, 
Here's how we're going to monitor it. Yeah. I'm all here for it. Yeah. So, you're creating that strategic <laughs> alliance that yeah. has really been pushed to the forefront of the importance of patient outcomes anyways. And I think you're giving people right now, like this discussion, an opportunity to explore the space and create a better therapeutic alliance. That yes. is yep. super important. Tying this up, how do you tell the listeners here to go out and be an advocate for themselves to find the best information and kind of be a resource for their patients or their clients or their family members, their moms that says, you're dealing with drugs now. How does someone go on and find this information? What are, what are good resources for them from a, a course standpoint? I'll just, I'll be sort of selfish here and I'll say to first, just check out the tools we have at joinfringe.com. We have a whole Q&A section. We have a weekly newsletter that we release trying to approach these very commonly asked questions. Genevieve Newton is our research director. She breaks down a new research article each week, what it means for the future of the field and what it can mean for you right now. Uh, I touch on our fringe factors once each week and how to start to incorporate those ideas. If you're going to explore other brands, be a curious consumer. Look for that certificate of analysis. Know where they're getting the crop from. All the crops should be coming from the USA. For right now, be mindful of licensed or uh, specific formulaic mixtures of like, hey, we took five milligrams of CBD and mixed it with, um, you know, 18 milligrams of ginseng. And then we crush it up in a strawberry smoothie. And we made these like strawberry capsules for you that are going to be the best ever from what we've seen in research. Well, okay, but we have no idea how all these things end up interacting together if they do at all. So, you know, I would stay away from like special brand formulas uh, and then stick to your pure CBD, um, whether that's going to be an isolate or like a broad spectrum, and then know which way you're going to take it. And then obviously start with our Q&A on jumpbrinch.com. That's awesome. Do you think in the next generation, like 10 years from now, you have a daughter, right? Like, do you Mm -hmm. think in 10 years, people will just, anybody has this, like they take their vitamin D every day or they take their fish oil every day, right? It's, is it going to be a general supplement that you buy at Costco? Yeah, I, I do think it's going to become that. Um, and what's going to be even a more interesting conversation. So interesting. Yeah, it's it's a whole new area that we're just scratching the surface. Joe, thank you so much for sharing this quick information on it. Um, tell us where we can find you more on on all the social media stuff. Yeah, so you can find me directly at Strength in Motion PT. Uh, you can also find me on my website, same name, strengthinmotionpt.com. And if you want to, again, learn more about Fringe, check out the website or find us on Instagram and social media at Join Fringe. It's great stuff. Again, we're just getting started. It's going to be exciting, exciting stuff coming yep. through. But thank you, Joe. And you, thank you, you have an awesome day and, and keep spreading that great word you're doing. Thank you, Chris. You as well. Take care, man. This episode was produced by me, Arpita, and Krista Prado. Follow us on Instagram for updates, and please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast to keep more great episodes coming. To follow Joe and his adventures, find him at strengthandmotionpt.com and at fringe at joinfringe.com.